Father, you are holy. You are also very, very good to us. We thank you for how we have seen your goodness. And God, I pray that today we would see your goodness in perhaps new ways or in ways that remind us of things that we've already known. Um, perhaps things that we've forgotten or just forgotten to think about lately. God, would you strengthen us as we look into your word and fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're nearing the end of our Romans sermon series here. For about four months, we've been going through Romans 1 through 8. And last Sunday, we started Romans 8. Today, we're going to do the middle of it. And then next Sunday, we'll do the end of it. Last Sunday, we looked at the first part where the Holy Spirit was emphasized. And, and overall, in the book of Romans, the gospel is emphasized. And the idea is that we are sinners who can't save ourselves. We need Jesus Christ. Fortunately, God sent Jesus for us so that we could live a new life. There's a lot of language, especially in Romans 6, about this new life that we have to live. And what we saw last Sunday is that we're not just left to our own strength as we live this new life. We are given the Holy Spirit so that we can live the new life that God wants us to live. So the life we're supposed to live, we're supposed to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of our passage, there was a verse that maybe uh, was a little bit somber in tone. So verse 17, I want to reread. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So it's a wonderful verse, and then it talks about the, the glory, the inheritance that we get to have as co-heirs with Christ, but it also mentions suffering. Now, we could just stop right here and go around the room and spend the rest of our time here this morning just asking the question, what are you suffering with right now? We could just have a time for... I bet even if we were to go just in small groups of five or so, that, that we could spend easily the rest of this morning, the next hour, just talking about the things that are difficult in our lives. Because every one of us goes through difficult things. So how should we view suffering as Christians? It's, it's not that we just automatically get to stop suffering once we've prayed to receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. So how should we view suffering? Well, let me give you an illustration of suffering. Uh, I want you to picture a man losing his leg. Let's say, whether disease or injury or whatever it is, a man loses his leg. And uh, in that process, though, is given a prosthetic leg. Now, there is unimaginable pain in that, and I can't begin to understand it, but there would be the, first the physical pain of losing a leg, but then also right along with that, the emotional pain. Can you think about losing something that has been part of you for your life? And, and then you think about the emotional pain of having to relearn how to walk. And the physical pain of that, as well as the emotional pain, as well as the ongoing pain of feeling the loss of what you once had. And it can be a really difficult thing. But at the same time, I would also hope that there would be some positives for that person in that. For example, the very fact that a prosthetic leg has been given should cause the person to have hope, that, to think, oh yes, I could walk again. <coughs> and then also, I would hope that there would be family and friends that would come along and support this man in, in his rehabilitation process. Not that it would take away the pain, not that it would take away the suffering, but that it would help in the process to think I could walk again and look at all the people that are here to support me in this. And then finally, if the man is a Christian, he would have the hope eventually of having a restored resurrection body in heaven. 
and that's a wonderful hope for all of us. And, and if we take that just as an, an example or an illustration for life, we would understand that every one of us goes through things, you know, to, usually to a lesser degree, but we go through suffering like that. And we will continue to go through it. Perhaps it will be the physical sufferings that are associated with aging and dying. Anybody going through any of those right now? I, I want a show of hands here. If you can raise your hand. No, I don't need a show of hands. But, uh, I would, but my shoulder hurts. I'm just not gonna, no. Or maybe it is the spiritual pain of struggling with sin. Or maybe it's the relational pain of, of, a, of broken relationships, a relationship that is just not the way that it should be right now. Or maybe it's the pain of watching somebody who's turning away from God. Or maybe it's all sorts of these things all combined into one big ugly pot of pain. But in the Bible, there's hope for us. It's not just suffering. That verse in Romans 8:17, it also talked about glory. In the Bible, suffering and glory often go together. And let's think first about Christ in that regard. Jesus obviously suffered, and, and think about that. He didn't suffer for anything that he had done wrong. He suffered, but he endured it knowing that there was glory to come. Hebrews 12, too, is a wonderful verse on this. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there was suffering, but also glory for Christ. And it's the same for us. Suffering and glory often go together in the Bible. But here's one of the really cool things. If we were to compare them, it would be, I hate this word, but it would be incomparable. It's a, I'm comparing them by saying that it's incomparable. But maybe here's a better way of saying it. Glory far outweighs suffering. If you were to put them on the balance, Glory would be so much heavier. In fact, the very word glory itself, the, the Old Testament word for glory, comes from a word that means heaviness. There is a heaviness of glory that we are supposed to feel even right now as we go through our walk with God. And it's on that note of weighty glory that our passage starts off today. And I want to read verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I, I like how it says it there. Not even worth comparing. No contest. So again, suffering and glory go together, but glory is so much weightier. So our passage today, Romans 8, 18 through 27, it gives an honest perspective about our suffering, but in that honest perspective, it asks us to consider that there are things that are much better, and eventually it's glory but even before we, we get to heaven, there are two gifts that God has given us that he wants to sustain us right now in the midst of our suffering. And the first of those gifts is hope. Verses 19 through 25. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, 
we wait for it patiently. So it's interesting. Before talking about our hope, Paul uses this illustration about creation having hope. So in verse 19, we learn that creation, and, and when he uses that word creation, I think he's talking about like the earth and things like trees and animals and plants and things like that, we actually learn that the creation eagerly waits to see who the children of God are. Now that might sound odd, but it's true. And and the next two verses explain why. And to understand the next two verses, we really should understand Genesis 1 through 3. So think back with me, if you will, to Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, created all these things. And what did God say at the end of it? It was... Not just good, very good. At the, at, at the very end of Genesis 1, he, said, he looked at all that he had made and said that it was very good. But then something very bad happened in Genesis 3. We know what that was. Adam and Eve sinned. And through Adam's sin, Adam is a represent, representative of all of us. Through Adam's sin, there came into this world this curse from God. And remember how God said it in Genesis 3.17? He's speaking to Adam, but he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. The ground was actually cursed because of human sin. And ever since then, creation has been groaning because of that curse. Been subjected to frustration. But the one who sent the curse, God, also has a plan to, to take that curse away and to make things new. And one of the great things that we learn, if we look at the other end of the Bible, we just looked at the, briefly at the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis. If we look at the end in Revelation, the last two chapters there tell us that God is making a new heaven and a new earth. He says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. He says everything will be made new. The creation itself looks forward to that newness. And it's kind of interesting. Just like we have a body right now, but our body is called, it's like a seed because the the body that we will eventually have, for those of us who are believers, the body that we'll have in heaven will look different than this body. So this body is just kind of like a seed and when we die, that, that seed will grow into something else. Well, similarly, it's like the creation has that. The, the creation is like a, it, it's, it's awaiting its glorification from God. Now that's pretty fascinating to me. Uh, This whole idea of creation being liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Uh, It's interesting because, you know, really can creation do that? Can creation think? Can creation praise God? Well, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, there's a psalm that talks about all of creation praising God. Talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and all sorts of creative things glorifying God. So, it's like the earth itself, if we look back at Romans 8, it's like the earth itself cheers us on wanting us to receive Christ because when we receive Christ, it's like a reminder and this foretelling of how the creation itself will be liberated from its decay. And the phrase in verse 19, it says, the creation waits in eager expectation. That word is like the word of somebody stretching their neck to look for something eagerly, eagerly looking to see who it is. That's what creation is doing as they wait for us to become children of God. Because you see, now the earth is still groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And childbirth is a really great illustration for this because childbirth is difficult, 
But at the end, you get something wonderful. Now, childbirth is a difficult process. I know, I've been through it four times. Um, I mean, it looked like it was difficult for Christine, too, but boy, was it... <laughs> I almost didn't say that joke. That's my favorite joke as a pastor to say, but I, it, was, it was really way harder on Christine than it was for me, but, but it was hard on me, too, okay? Um, but what... This still amazes me. Um, I, I think it was with our first child, uh, it, which was the most difficult labor. Something like, oh, I don't even want to remember, but I think it was in the 30 hours of labor. Just wouldn't stop. <laughs> um, and just terrible, horrible, difficult time. And about an hour after our first child was born, Christine is looking at him and says, I want to do this again. <laughs> like, oh, let's, let's wait a little bit here. <laughs> But it's the joy, the joy of the baby that makes the... You almost forget the pain. Well, Christine did forget the pain. I have to remind her sometimes. That <laughs> so creation feels this pain now but looks forward to the joy after the children of God are revealed. And perhaps what that means is that creation feels the pain of natural disasters or of decay or death. We think of all the things that go wrong in this world, and, and in a sense, creation feels that. And if I could just stop right now and give an application point that maybe might surprise some of you, I would like to say that I think that we should all be environmentalists. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of environmentalists that think that an ant is just as valuable as a human, but I'm talking about the kind of environmentalists where we should be doing things like recycling. God gave us, in Genesis 1, authority over the earth. We are stewards. We are supposed to take good care of it. So that I think that, you know, kind of like the Boy Scouts, we should leave things better than we found them. And, and again, so very practically, I think that means things like recycling. I think it means things like you know, praying about ways to harness energy more cleanly, things like that. I, I think we should be doing those things. But anyways, back to our passage. Creation itself groans and waiting to be liberated from decay. But it's a word picture for us. Okay, so if what I've been saying so far sounds maybe perhaps a little bit strange, Paul has a reason for what he's saying. And in verse 23, he says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So as creation groans, so do we. Is there anything in your life that you groan about? <coughs> Again, maybe it's your, your aging, aching body. Um, and I was just thinking about how I, there was one day in my life where I could dunk a basketball. There's actually a photographic evidence of it. But now, like one day, just a little while ago, I was feeling good and I tried to, and I, I think I touched the bottom of the rim. So, you know, my, I'm going down and it's part of that groaning of what I'm losing. Again, what other things in your life right now do you groan about? Is there something that just doesn't feel right physically? Is it a relationship? Is it a struggle with sin? We groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit, we groan. But in Christ, we have something wonderful to help us right now. We have hope. Just like creation has hope that it will be liberated, we have this hope of being sons of God. Now that's interesting. It says in, in our passage today we have this hope of being the sons of God. Last Sunday we looked at a verse that said, in verse 15, you received the spirit of sonship. Past tense language. So which one is it? Is it that we've already received it or that we wait for it to come? What do you think the answer is? 
both. Yeah, it's, it's one of these many places in the Bible where it's what theologians call the already, not yet tension. And let me just explain it real briefly. But think about salvation. Have we received salvation? Well, it says here in verse 24, in this hope you were saved. So that's past tense. So in one sense, we have already received salvation if we've received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But we have not yet gone to heaven. So there is a part of our salvation which we still look forward to. So the Bible can say rightly that we are saved, but we look forward to our salvation. And it's the same thing with adoption. We've been adopted as children, but we look forward to the redemption of our bodies. And just to be very clear again, like I said in communion, and I've alluded to here, salvation only comes through Jesus. That's the only way that we get to be saved. Every one of us has a sin problem and there's nothing we could do about it. The, the only thing that could be done about it is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, and what Jesus did for us is so wonderful that it demands a response from us and our response is faith. We are to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That means that we give our lives to him. It means that he is Lord, he is master, and, and we stop pretending that we are the master of our own lives. So we give our hearts and our lives to him to follow him for the rest of our lives. That's the gospel message. And if we've done that, we have hope. Now, we don't yet have what we hope for, but that's exactly what hope is. We don't hope for things that we already have. We hope for what's coming. And if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, then we have the hope of a wonderful future to look forward to. And by the way, this kind of hope is secure. The important thing when it comes to hope is how, how good the object of your hope is. For example, if I say I hope to win the lottery, that's not really a good hope because such a small, small percentage that you would actually win that. But if our hope is in Jesus Christ, it's firm and secure. Or it's like the walking on ice analogy. You heard, heard this one? If there's a, a frozen lake and I'm going to walk on it, uh, What's really important is not how much hope I have that the ice will hold me. What matters is how thick the ice is. And if it's only a quarter of an inch thick, I don't think it's going to hold me. But if it's 24 inches thick, it's going to hold me. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that kind of a hope is firm and secure. We can take it to the bank. So our hope is the confident expectation of something better to come. We grow now because we know that things aren't right. They aren't perfect yet but we look forward to the time when God will make it perfect. God has given us the first fruits of the Holy Spirit as a deposit because he wants us to know that he will finish the job. And there's a wonderful verse on this, Philippians 1.6. It's one that I'd recommend that you memorize. So if you want a homework assignment for today, memorize Philippians 1.6. You can test me on it right now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Confidence that that God is going to finish this work. And if he sent Jesus to save us, do you think that he's going to finish that work? Think that Jesus is going to come again and, and finish the process? Again, we can take that to the bank. And by the way, this hope isn't just something for the future. It's not like our hope is that, well, okay, it's going to be better now, or it's going to be better later, but right now it's just really difficult. This hope is supposed to strengthen us right now. It's like the hope that that amputee has of learning to walk again. He maybe doesn't feel like he has the strength right now, but if people are telling him that he can walk, then maybe he tries, and it strengthens him for today. 
We're supposed to think about better things to come. It actually strengthens us now. So let me ask you a question, an application here. Do you think about heaven? We're supposed to. Um, I actually think one of the biggest differences between non-Christians and Christians is that non-Christians are living for now, and they would actually mock us for thinking about heaven. They would say, you don't realize what you're missing out on right now because you guys are, you know, you're thinking about heaven and you're, you're living for God, but you should really just get as much fun out of this life as you can right now. But you know what? That, that is not the way to live our lives. We were created by God and for Him. We have a purpose, and that purpose, is, we know if we live for Him now, it'll be best for us now because we have joy, and it'll be best for us later because there are rewards later. So more and more I'm thinking about heaven, and I am looking forward to it. I hope you are. It, and, and I want to actually, I want to tell you four things about heaven that I'm looking forward to. I, and I want you to think about what your list would be. Because I think, that, I think that daily we should be thinking about heaven. So if you were to ask me, and thanks for asking by the way, um, what four things, Eric, are you looking most forward to about heaven? I would say, that's a great question. Let me think about it for a moment. Okay, I've got my answer. Four things. First, would be seeing God face to face. That's got to be number one. I, I love this idea of going to heaven, seeing Jesus, and, and thanking him for what he did for me. And then finally getting this, this picture of who God is and being with him forever. That's number one. Number two is going to be perfect relationships with other people. Uh, think about the people you love most in this world. And then think about how, how poor of a job we actually do of loving them. And think about how, how my sin gets in the way. Think about how your sin gets in the way, and, and, and their sin gets in the way. So we love these people. We really do love them, but sin gets in the way, and it mars our relationships. And then think about heaven, where we will be with these people, and sin will not be there. We'll have perfect relationships with them. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And, and actually... That's a great picture of hope because as I think about, for example, uh, you know, my relationship with my wife, I look forward to that perfect relationship that I have with her in heaven. Uh, but it, it encourages me right now to say, I want to have that kind of a relationship with her now. The Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it encourages me to pursue that kind of a relationship with my wife right now. Third thing I'm looking forward to is what's not going to be there. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. It says also in Revelation, no more curse. We are finally going to live in a place where th those horrible, terrible things just aren't there. And then number four, anybody want to guess what number four is? Flowing spring of Mount Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Flowing spring of Mount Wow, okay. I was thinking of something else. No, no. Food is what I was thinking. And, you know, I don't know if there's going to be Mountain Dew in heaven, but I know there is going to be really great food. It, actually, several places in the Bible tell about this wonderful food. There's going to be a wedding feast. There's going to be a banquet. Uh, it talks about the tree of life bearing its fruit every month. Can you imagine this heavenly fruit every month? And we can probably just go and pick it and eat it. And maybe even Mountain Dew. So. <laughs> now, right now, in our walk with Jesus, we struggle. We have pain. We have difficulty. We struggle with sin. But we can have hope right now, knowing that God will take care of everything eventually. It can strengthen us for right now.
And like Paul told us in chapter 5, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So suffering is not a good thing in and of itself. We don't need to pretend that it's good. But if we persevere, and in our perseverance we build character, then what we get is hope. So we don't want suffering, but we do want hope. Now, suffering is going to come whether you want it or not. The question is, how will you meet it? And the, the answer, hopefully, is that we will meet it with hope, knowing that there is glory to come and that God will strengthen us now. So yes, we groan now, but we can look eagerly forward to what's coming. And, and it's interesting. In here it says that we are to wait eagerly, but also that we are to be patient. And, and those words, eager and patient, don't often go together. If you're eager for something, oftentimes you jump the gun. Or if you're patient for something, you say, well, let's just wait. But we're supposed to be both eager and patient. Eager in that we say, yes, come Lord Jesus. I want that to come. But patient knowing, as long as it's today, I know that God will strengthen me. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week. The Holy Spirit will strengthen us for all that God has for us right now. So we can have hope. Hope to strengthen us for today and hope in a better future. Hope in heaven. So knowing that something's good, we can face today because of who God is now. And then moving on to my second point, we've already seen the first fruit of the Holy Spirit in verse 23, uh, but our, the, the second gift that I want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. Okay. Verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So these verses start off with the phrase, in the same way. In the same way that hope strengthens us, so also the Holy Spirit strengthens us. Even though we suffer now, we can have hope because we know the Holy Spirit helps us. And that word help from verse 26 is the same word that Martha used. Remember that story, Martha and Mary? Martha was feeling overwhelmed by all the tasks that she had to do and she said to Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And, and did Martha's help come from Mary? No. Jesus actually said Mary has chosen what's better. She chose to be with Jesus. And, and what I, one of the things I get from that story is that the place where we find our help is actually in being with God. And here it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And specifically our weakness here has to do with the fact that we don't always know what to pray for. We often know that we should pray, right? I think, I think every Christian kind of carries along with us this idea, oh yeah, I should pray. But our weakness is that we don't always know what to pray for. So it says that the Holy Spirit helps us in this and that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That means he prays for us. And we, we learn here that the Holy Spirit intercedes, and if you look down to verse 34, we see also that Jesus intercedes for us. Pretty cool. Two members of the Trinity praying for us. Uh, makes me think again, boy, I really need help. But, uh, in verse 26, it says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that words cannot express. It literally means wordless groans. And let me just say a few things about that phrase. First, it's the same root word for groans that shows up in what we do. We groan because we know that things aren't right here. So in our suffering, we groan. Now, I don't think we should take that to mean that the Holy Spirit suffers as he groans with us. But I think what we can take it to mean is that the Holy Spirit enters into our difficulties with us to help us. And he, he kind of groans along with us 
but he groans in such a way that he's praying for us. And then second, these are wordless groans. And because of that description, it leads me to believe that this isn't talking about the gift of tongues. Now, I, I believe in the gift of tongues. I, I believe that God is still free to give that gift of tongues today and I've heard some very convincing cases of that happening. But I don't think that what we're talking about here is tongues for a couple of reasons. One, because it says they're wordless groans. Now tongues by definition are a language. Whether it's a, an earthly language that the speaker doesn't know or whether it's a heavenly language, the idea is that it's actually words that are spoken. And then the other reason, and this is maybe the main reason why I don't think that this is talking about tongues, is because tongues are a spiritual gift, and by definition, not all spiritual gifts are given to every believer. That's, that's one of the teachings of the spiritual gifts. God gives them to whom he chooses, and he gives different gifts to different believers. But this ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to hear this, this ministry of the Holy Spirit, of him praying for us with wordless groans, is for every believer and it is a wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Um, it, it's a wordless gift, and it happens between the Father and the Spirit. Uh, and a friend of mine this week gave me this illustration. I thought it was a really good one. Uh, the illustration is, let's say that there's a mom and a dad talking about something that, that has to do with their kid. And the kid hears about the conversation. Oh, yeah, I'm really interested. And the kid, what does he start doing? Starts asking all these questions about it. And sometimes a, a parent just has to stop and say to the kid, I'm sorry, this is a mommy-daddy conversation. Mommy and daddy, we're just going to take care of this one, and, and we'll tell you what you need to know later, but right now, actually, you just need to let us talk about this. And, and that's kind of how I view this prayer here going on between the, the Holy Spirit and the Father. It has a lot to do with us. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us, but it's not our words. It's actually the Holy Spirit himself talking to the Father. And it's really amazing to see how, how this goes on. In verse 27 it says, God searches our hearts. What does he see there? Well, for one, if we've received Jesus Christ, we've received the Holy Spirit, so he sees the Holy Spirit there. Ephesians 3.16 says the Spirit dwells in our inner being. And 2 Corinthians 1.22 says God put the Spirit in our hearts. So as God searches our hearts, he sees the Holy Spirit there. And he lives in our hearts, meaning that he knows intimately everything that goes on inside of us. And then think about this. The Holy Spirit who lives in us knows everything that goes on inside of us. He is God. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit since eternity past have had an intimate relationship with each other so that they know what's going on in the thoughts of the other one. And it, and it doesn't just stop there. The Holy Spirit, it says, uh, intercedes, prays for the saints in accordance with God's will. So the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. God knows exactly what the Holy Spirit is thinking. The Spirit prays according to God's will, and God hears and answers those prayers. And, and this is just another instance in the Bible of how we see the unity of the Trinity. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit want the same thing for us. They want us to be strengthened to walk by faith. They want us to live with them forever in a relationship with him. So we can take great comfort in the fact that God the Holy Spirit prays for us and God the Father answers those prayers. And I don't know everything about how that happens, but I am very encouraged by it. So sometimes now when I pray, I just stop and I say, God, I don't know what to pray for. 
but I know that the Holy Spirit does, so I'm just going to be quiet now and let the Holy Spirit pray. And I try to remind myself, I'm like that kid, and they're having a mommy-daddy conversation, and I'm just going to kind of be quiet and let the Holy Spirit do his work of interceding for me. Now, I don't think that the Holy Spirit needs my invitation in order to do that, but it's just a way for me to express my faith and an invitation for God the Spirit to pray for me. And I'd encourage you to do that. And even more than that, I'd just encourage you to remember that although we, we don't really even know what's going on, we can know that it is going on. And we can be strengthened by the fact that God the Spirit is praying for us. So let me ask you a couple questions here. Do you think that God the Holy Spirit knows what to pray for? And do you think that God the Father answers the prayers of the Holy Spirit? I think we'd have to answer a resounding yes and yes to both of those questions. That is what is going on inside of us. Because God wants to strengthen us. Here's my conclusion for the sermon. Yes, we suffer now, but we have hope and the Holy Spirit prays for us. Next Sunday, we're going to see another gift in Romans 8. We're going to see the gift of God's goodness to us in Jesus Christ. But for today, I want you to know know that God wants to sustain us by giving us hope and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Those gifts are meant to remind us of the incomparable weight of glory that is to be revealed. We know that things here aren't the way that they should be. But we should have the faith to be able to know that, oh yeah, God's going to take care of it. That gives me hope right now. And the Holy Spirit is at work in me right now as well with this wonderful ministry of prayer. So glory. There is glory to come. We are co-heirs with Christ of an amazing inheritance. And we're supposed to look forward to that glory. That's why Titus 2.13, I read that verse in communion. I want to read it again. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again, and when he does, it will be all glory for those of us who are walking with him by faith. For now, we have hope, and we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are sufferings and difficulties now. God knows that. That's why he gives us hope and that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit and we look forward to glory. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for these wonderful truths and I pray that we would be strengthened by them. I pray that every one of us here would have a heightened sense of hope now. Knowing that there is glory to come, knowing that you fill us with the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be strengthened to live for today because of your sure promises of what's coming, of glory. And God, we also thank you for this wonderful prayer ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God, we just come before you right now and confess that we are weak and we don't always know what to pray for. So even right now, God, we just give time for the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. Thank you, God, for how you strengthen us. Thank you for glory that is to come. I pray that we would be strengthened by hope and strengthened through the Holy Spirit to live the lives now, today, that you want us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.